Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Dr. Whitney, welcome back to the Modern Mommy Doc podcast. Today I have Alexandra Scherzer from Wise Parenting, and I'm just really excited to have her come and talk with us today and share her wisdom. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Tell everybody who is listening about you and about Wise Parenting. It's a loaded question, but I guess I would say that I'm I'm really passionate about helping parents in the parenting world that we find ourselves in today, because what I found is that doubting oneself, feeling overly guilty, confused, and sort of feel like we're drowning seems to be the norm, and I just don't believe that that's right. <laughs> I think that there's definitely a better way. And when I had my son, I I came, you know, full face up to this situation that parents so often find themselves in. And it was really a surprise to me. And so as I tried to navigate what I feel is really like a mountain of parenting advice out there, I started to ask my mom questions. And she happens to be a child and family psychologist specializing in the early years. And ironically enough, I didn't realize the the expert that she is all of my life until I was sitting in the place I was sitting in. And as I got more pointed information about child development from her, my dad's also a neuropsychologist. So I was asking him about brain development. So the combination of how I sort of started off my journey in motherhood really shaped how I now help parents. So I combine this this really proper knowledge in child development, because I find there to be so much misinformation and misguided information out there for parents. So that with, you know, just some practical guidance in how to live more intentionally. That's really where my two paths cross in how I help parents. And it does 100% stem from my own experience. I love that. And I want to I want to talk more about this piece about drowning. How did you find yourself drowning in early motherhood or if you feel like you, you know, escaped that by the grace of God? How do you see other parents and moms specifically drowning in motherhood? What are you seeing? Right. That's a great question. And I think that more women sharing their stories, whether they felt completely drowning or partly drowning or not drowning at all, whatever their perception is, I think I think we can all uplift each other by just speaking more about it. That being said, at the time I was just rolling with it. The main thing that happened to me was that Interestingly enough, all of my closest friends who had babies within like within the two years of me having my first baby, they all breastfed 
perfectly, like champs. The babies did well, the mothers excelled, the, everyone was you know, doing exactly as they should. And I, without realizing, assumed, well, that will just be my journey too. Obviously, they, I really viewed it as, and incorrectly so now in hindsight, they really wanted to, they had the motivation, and so then it worked. And I felt, well, I have the motivation and I really want to, so it will work for me. And on day one of bringing our son home, that did not happen. <laughs> he cried all night and I thought, well, this is it. This is what the newborn stage is. This is what I knew would happen in the sense of like, he was, he was fine at the hospital and he was fine in the first little bit. And then all of a sudden we had our first night and it felt like everything fell to pieces. And it just turned out that it, he was starving because he wasn't actually latched properly. I didn't know. And so I went through a whole learning process for breastfeeding and we made it through, but it was a challenge and, you know, physical and mental. And anyone who's gone through some variation of it can probably relate. So that was like a first thing where that surprised me to face this. And then later on, when I started to, he was a few months old, we started to do like mom and baby classes. And I met other moms and I really wanted to and get out of the house and share my experience and hear about theirs. And in doing so, I started to hear a lot about sleep what sleep should look like, what I'm doing wrong, what I'm doing right, all the books I hadn't read. And it started to feel like, to me at least, oh my goodness, I'm not doing the best job that I could. I don't know what a wake window is. I don't know <laughs> what they're talking about. And so for me, the drowning angle, I guess, would be that I was feeling all right, and then I wasn't because everybody seemed to know more details about all kinds of things that I didn't know about. And it, I just hadn't gone down that way. And then I felt I had to go and look into what a wake window was and, and maybe his naps aren't as long as they should be. And I really started to question myself. So I think that the drowning from what I've seen working with families, it usually stems from an expectation that was different from their experience and therefore they get into sort of information overload, contradictory advice coming from different angles. And the result of the drowning usually looks like I'm not doing very well. I thought I'd be better at this. I may feel extremely guilty. And you get tied into these negative emotions that are that are honestly hard to get out of because all of those little experiences throughout every day that keep repeating themselves mm -hmm. just get compounded over time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, this brings up for me, I mean, I think even as a pediatrician, I mean, wake windows are something that we do talk about somewhat in pediatrics, but not that extensively, not like it's talked about on the internet, you know, with sleep, right. people. And there are times that people come in now and ask me questions about new things they've heard on the internet, new things they've been told are the most important thing for their kid, you know, that I have no idea what they're talking about. Like the, even as a pediatrician, I'm like, Oh, I gotta go look that up. And it's not because it's like something that actually matters. It's just because people have a way of like spinning information into new things in order for there to be something new in order for people to sell things in order for people to make money and have a side hustle, all these things. Right. So just in solidarity to other moms like us, who I'm sure have had that experience where they feel like they were doing okay. 
okay, they're just handling the basics. And then wham, they're hit with like, oh, pay attention to this and this and this and this. You're a bad mom if you don't know about this thing. So I think that's a common experience. And then the other thing you said that really resonated with me is this idea of if I just like believe it enough that I'll be good at this and want it enough to be good at this, then I will be. And I have had that experience over and over again with my daughter who was just diagnosed finally with autism, where I literally will be rolling up to the house. I'm coming home from a long day of work. I drive up, I stop the car, I take a deep breath and I think it will go well when I walk in. I'm going to believe that it will go well when I walk in because I want it to go well. And so I can make it happen if I just go in and I believe that it's going to go well. And let me tell you, that is some like BS. Sometimes she is having a hard moment and it doesn't matter how well I want it to go well. It's not going to because she's a separate person. Sometimes my other daughter's having a hard moment. Sometimes my husband's in a bad mood. Like, like, I can control 100% the way that I respond when that happens, but I cannot control what happened with my kids' sleep when they were an infant, just like you couldn't. I can't 100% control how the feeding goes, even if I wanted breastfeeding to be amazing. Sometimes it doesn't go well. Sometimes my kids' behavior is not the way I want it to be, even if I do every single thing in the book that it says to do. And I think to your point about all this information that's out there and like misguided information a lot of it, what I'm seeing is so binary, like you do this and this will be the result for your kid. You do this and this will be the result. And then in the reality, that's just not, not what happens because everyone is their own individual being and all you can control is you. <laughs> Have you found that as well? You really, you really touched on something important and something that's near and dear to my heart because that is somewhat something that I stand against. The, this notion, if you date, do A, you will get B, and leading parents to believe that that is what will happen, and if it doesn't happen, there's something wrong with them or there's something wrong with their child is really unfair to parents because if you understand child development and what the literature has shown us for decades is that behavior is not its independent thing. Yeah. It is in constant interaction with its environment. So what you're noticing is behavior. There is a 100% all the time and forever undercurrent of inborn temperament, which is essentially your genes that you were born with, just like the color of your hair, will define a certain way that you feel and how you express your emotions. It's why mm. when in adulthood, parent, some people are very quick to say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert. Oh, I'm an extrovert. I mean, those mm. are huge categories, but we know very well from being an adult and interacting with hundreds and thousands of people in our lifetime that everybody is different. And as much as everybody is different, there are some people who have certain similarities in social situations or like more alone time or don't or, and all of this is being driven by inborn characteristics and your inborn temperament. So to look at a certain behavior and suggest that parents taking a certain action will lead to a certain outcome is just 
plain wrong. Mm-hmm. And again, unfair to parents. <laughs> yeah. And damning. I mean, when you think about the mom guilt and dad guilt and whatever, parent guilt in general, I think so much of it, it comes from a lot of different places, but that a lot of it comes from that. If you do this, this will happen. And I am here to tell you all that I know all the research out there about what are the best practices for helping kids and for dealing with kids and that my kids are their own individual people who depending on the day, week, month, will do things that I am flabbergasted by and embarrassed by and like wish that they wouldn't do and they still do it. And sometimes they act in ways that I am astonished by in awe of like so grateful, but it's not because of me. Like, I think we really do have to take the ego out of parenting to say that, like, it's all about us. Now, are there certain things that if you, over time, like your tendency is like you leave your kids in front of the television all day, every day, and you never, ever interact with them? Generally speaking, will your kids have a harder time with this? Are there studies that she does? Absolutely. Right. But I'm talking Mm -hmm. about you could be doing your darndest and you Mm -hmm. still could end up with a child whose behavior is not ideal or not what you expected or not what you hoped for. Right. Well, I have a lot to comment on here. One thing that I'd like to highlight is the role that inborn genes really, what they really do play in the behavior of an infant, like Mm -hmm. from one minute old to a 60 year old, like it it doesn't really matter, but it plays a very influential role, and especially so in the first handful of months, the your baby's behavior, and this is something that I really emphasize in when I'm either doing a presentation or I'm working with families who are either expecting a baby or have a less than one-year-old, mm-hmm. just understanding and accepting the concept that your baby's inborn genes in the first few months are driving your baby's behavior by way of this is their way, their own unique way for them to express their emotions. So Mm -hmm. we often see it as it's linked to a physical thing, like their diaper has to be changed. They are cold, they're tired, they're, I don't know, overstimulated by late, whatever. But there, but there are other, there are other, there's a whole other section too. They're feeling emotions just like an older child would, but we often don't see it that way, right? So they might be crying and fussy because they're lonely, you know? So we don't often see that they are not only expressing physical needs, they are also expressing emotional needs and it all comes out through their behavior. And just so the part that I want to underline here is that in the first few months, the behavior that we experience and witness as parents and primary caregivers is really being driven by the genes and it is not our parenting. So within the context of what we just spoke about, if you do A, you will get B, especially in the first few months of your baby's life, you are not causing your baby to be fussy. You are not causing your baby to take a longer time to fall asleep. You are not causing your baby to be a really slow feeder that is not predictable. You're not causing your baby to feel uncomfortable in all of the sheets that you bought except for the one set, right? Like these are all being driven by, there's actually a list of 10 behavioral traits that are driven by inborn genes, six of which are 
noticeable quite quickly, like almost right off the bat. And just knowing and accepting that can take a tremendous amount of pressure off of parents who are trying to get an end result. You know, mm-hmm. I often say like it's debunking a parenting myth. You you cannot parent your baby into being a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us some examples of some of the 10. What are some of the 10? I don't want to put you on the spot to tell all of them. Yeah, Yeah, no, for sure. Well, the one that I learned first was feeding. So predictability and how regularly your baby feeds. So what what I'm talking about here is them expressing this to you, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not talking about scheduled feedings. This would be within the context of feeding on demand, right? So if you're feeding on demand, then it is being expressed to you in a certain way and babies will be expressing that in at different intervals in different ways. I mean, one of these close friends of mine who had a baby right before me, then she had her second and my goodness, could that little baby girl, she was so efficient in her in her mm-hmm. drinking. It was unbelievable and my friend even noticed it too. She was like, "Well, compared to my first, who already was a champ, this mm-hmm. second one is like you know, 10 stars. So this is how predictable and how regular they will sleep is one. Same thing, predictable and regularly for sleeping, right? Mm-hmm. So so some babies just need more mm-hmm. and others don't, you know, and there is that wide window, but I found, and this was my second experience that didn't quite meet up with what I thought was okay when I started hearing a lot about sleep, right? This is what was coming out. It was like, even if let's say you Googled it, for example, and it said that the average for that month was like seven to, I can't really remember, but I'll just give an example, seven to 14 hours. Like that's a huge window. But then if somebody was calculating it and they'd be like, no, it's, it's 12, that's not the middle you know, then this would be like the end of the world for them. So this is what I mean, is that this is being driven by inborn genes. You're not causing your baby to take short naps, you know, Mm -hmm. short of like big types of actions as far as parenting goes. Overall, your baby will sleep as they sleep and feed as they feed. Another one is mood. And this is one that really expands open into types of temperament as babies grow and we can see more patterns. Are they generally a fussy baby or are they just an easy going baby? I mean, just in my life, I've seen the spectrum, (laughs) right? And so that's another one. Also, level of physical energy. Some babies just have more energy. And to this point, I'll say, I'll give this example. I had a client and the family, they were at their wits end because their baby was not falling asleep within what they felt was a normal amount of time. And they had done all of that reading and all of that talking to friends. And they had thought they had nailed down a wonderful bedtime routine. They were giving their all into it, right? They wanted it to go right. They thought it would. And they get to the point where the babies should be ready for bed and sleep. And it would take like an extra 40 minutes, you know, and they just didn't know what to do and what are we doing wrong. And it turns out And this is such a wonderful example, because if you know what you're looking for, it's so easy to then feel better about it. But they didn't know, right? So in their example, their baby was born to a little boy, and he was born prematurely. But he was born prematurely because he was so active in the womb, he actually kicked a hole through the amniotic sac, 
And she, within her telling me this in a different conversation, she was telling me how active he was and she didn't sleep and because, you know, he was constantly moving. Well, he has a high level of physical activity. They have not caused this. Mm -hmm. It just is how he arrived. Right. And so knowing that this isn't, it's not their parenting and the bedtime routine that they have chosen and created for him that is going to, that they're missing something and therefore they're getting this end result. But it's understanding that this is just who he is. And so probably they will see compared to other families that they are going to need longer wind down times. And yeah. the best thing that they can do is accept this and respect it in terms of their parenting behavior. Another one, there's also sensitivity to light, sound, and touch. So some babies are just really sensitive to light and they will wake up and others can sleep in broad daylight, no problem, right? Mm -hmm. this, is, this is not because you set up a nursery with blackout curtains that now your baby has been trained to, no. It is how your baby arrived. And the, and what's tricky for parents when you, you don't know what you're looking for or looking at is that they will take a certain action from as a parenting point of view, like choose to have blackout curtains or not, right? Because it goes either way. Or they will choose to have not blackout curtains so that their baby can behave a certain way, like sleep anywhere. And then their baby can sleep anywhere. And then they feel that they caused that. So it's not to say that there's zero value in trying to set yourself up in a way that makes life more easy for you, but I always end up coming around. And if they feel good about the job that they've done, then that's great. We don't need to tear that down. But when it doesn't work, that's when this information can be so powerful because when it doesn't work, you go, okay, so we have a baby who blank. As opposed to going, oh, I need to get back and look into that information and find out more and read, read, read. And, you know, so it can just help you not get onto that sort of like spinning merry-go-round that you're really never going to get off because it's not in your control. It has nothing to do with you. Yeah. So I don't know if I can touch on all of them. So there's mood. And then, sorry, the last one was adaptability to change. So... Perfect example would be something like a baby who can fall asleep only in her nursery or only in her parents' room and will cry all night in a hotel or a friend's house or a grandparent's house. Mm -hmm. the, the change is too big for her to handle, to cope with. Mama, it is here and available for download. It's the new Modern Mamas Club app. We are so ready to join you on your personal journey from conflicted to centered. We want to take you on an evidence-based path from feeling conflicted all the time, from feeling pulled in all kinds of directions, from feeling burnt out to feeling really purposeful and aligned. As you move through your working motherhood experience, no matter what is happening around you. So go check it out in the app store. There's a few things that are coming to my mind as you're talking. And one of them is 
when I'm in the office, in my pediatrics office, you know, as a doctor, you're trained to find solutions to people's problems. So when someone comes in and says, my baby is having a hard time with sleeping, when when they say that to you as a physician, they're looking at you like, so tell me how to change it. Right. And then I think one of the hardest things that I can get people to do or that I can move people toward is this idea in my office of being able to say to them and at Modern Mommy Doc of, oh, I'm sorry, I actually can't provide you like a stepwise way that this will 100% change because this is just the way it is. Either this is the stage that your child is in and so Mm -hmm. we can't move through it faster than your child is ready to move through it Mm -hmm. or this is who your child is. And like you're saying, that's not to say that then you don't work within that. Like, for example, my oldest has a very hard time with change and with not having things be incredibly structured. So I know that for holidays, it doesn't work to, and she gets overstimulated. It doesn't work to subject her to a hundred people that would come over to my house and she has to like make five transitions and go to one parent, one grandparent, then the other grandparent, then have people come over, yada, yada, yada. It needs to be like, we do one thing. We get up in the morning, we go to my mom's, we open the gifts, we stay there for a limited amount of time and then we come home, you know? So I'm trying to set us up for success, but within that, she might still have a meltdown. Because right. that's who she is. Because this is just the life I'm living in. And so I think as I'm as I'm talking with parents, and it sounds like this is similar to what you're saying as you're doing coaching or working with clients, is a lot about first has to come the acceptance. If we're not approaching it from a state of acceptance and awareness and understanding, it's going to be a lot harder if that thing when you tried so, so hard, doesn't work out. If you're approaching it from a place of acceptance, you have some grace for the situation. You're able to handle it when things don't work out quite as well as you want them to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'd say here that in the work that I've done in the past few years, and it certainly started off very strongly side by side with my mom, we developed a framework and it's called the wise parent, the wise framework for parents. And it's an acronym W I S C and the W stands for who, which is exactly everything we're talking about right now. And at the end of, and it's a framework that you can apply to any given situation to get through, then what should you do? Right? So starting with who your child is, was arrived as is paramount because that's going to set you up, right? So if from the get-go you're starting with, and I'll just give what like a, a hypothetical, if, if you're starting out with a child who's ABCD in the list that I just went over and they're very high energy, well, that sets up anything that you're going to do or understand or accept or respect beyond that point, right? Or if you have a child who is very slow to feel comfortable in a social situation, well, again, that's just going to pave the road for how you're going to move forward and the decisions that you're going to make. So accepting and respecting who your child is from an inborn standpoint is huge. And, and sometimes it's very difficult for parents to find a space within themselves to truly accept and respect that, particularly if their child is 
if if the way that they express their emotions comes out through behavior that the parents aren't really in line with, or mm-hmm. they don't resonate with the emotions that their child does. So if you have, imagine a really like two extrovert, high energy, social butterfly parents and their child is the complete opposite that it takes them like an hour. This is another example from my own life. My son sort of has this ass. He's a mix of all of these traits, but he would arrive at a birthday party and he would want to go and we would go, but he'd sit on my lap for 40 minutes like as a toddler. And it was very difficult for other parents to watch me be okay with this because the, the general knowledge I'd say is, is sort of at this level where, well, you have to socialize him, put him in the group, sit, force him, push him, you know, Uh and, and in a different circumstance, I could say, go play or we're going home. Uh-huh. So all of those situations are not respecting who your child is. And it's sort of counterintuitive, but to respect who your child is, whatever the circumstance is, from that inborn point of view, is what yeah. will set them up the best in the future, right? So I always say parenting is a long game. Boy, is it ever a long game. We probably, yes. I'll say waited, quote unquote, four years for our son to get to a party and jump in and play. But now you wouldn't know it. You, uh-huh. would, you would not look at him now and go, this is, I bet you this, I bet you I know how this happened. No, of course not. You would assume that this is how he always was, but he wasn't. Uh-huh. And it uh-huh. will still come out from time, time and time again, because this is his undercurrent of who he is. So when it does come out and he does hold back or some, for whatever reason, he feels unsure and he grabs our hand and doesn't act as open as he generally does now, then that's okay. It's who he is. And we understand this. And one thing that really helps parents to understand how these inborn genes are really driving behavior forever is that you're not surprised when it happens, right? You don't fall into the space of this again. You're not a baby anymore, right? It's, we're not there. We understand that he may get to the point where he's 50 and he has to get into a board meeting and met nobody before. And he's going to feel more nervous than the average person, but respecting and accepting who he is now and continuing to do so, not just in social situations across the board is what's going to set him up to be able to, even though I'm nervous, I know I can do this. And here I go. I'm going to do this thing as an adult. Mm-hmm. That's the long game. <laughs> I want to hear more about the other letters in the Y's, though, because I feel like that is the foundation. But then, I mean, if you're willing to give other people like just a taste of the other pieces, because I, the reason I wanted to have you on was to talk about those inborn genes, those genetics, because I think that's missed so much for parents. But then I know that parents are sitting here going like, okay, yes, but how do I get them to eventually when they're 50 or like, how does the needle ever move forward? Or I can accept that like on some of these things, it will never change. But how do I go from like coddling them to helping them to grow over time? Like, how do I marry that idea of accepting who they are with not coddling them so much that then they get stuck in habits that aren't going to be useful for them over time? So yes, I think that being able to shift just in a parent's mindset 
in the words that they might associate with how they are parenting and the decisions that they're making, switching from saying something like, I'm coddling my child to something which is, to be honest, more accurate and healthier for everybody is to look at your behavior and, and seeing that you are supporting your child and being able to respond to the emotional needs that they're having and that they're expressing to you because that really is what you're doing. And it really is what is going to set them up in the long run for the best outcomes. So I I guess I would just shift to the wise framework. So W was, we've talked about, I stands for inside their brain. So what's going on inside their brain? Now I won't go take a deep dive into this because it's about brain development, but I will say that understanding A, that the so much development happens between zero and six years old. The more I found out about this, I was just astounded (laughs) because we, if you look at how our society works and runs, it doesn't feel like we are putting that emphasis on the first five years of life. When really, when we're looking at adults in our, in our own life and we notice differences in personalities what we're also seeing and picking up on is really the difference in how people were in part parented when they were very young. It really Mm -hmm. does follow you through life. So understanding that there are three main developmental stages by the time your child enters elementary school, and not only are they developmental stages, but they are crucial stages. And they're crucial stages because In each of those stages, your child is developing a personality characteristic that is life-defining and will be with them forever. So let me give you a bit of a more detailed approach to this. In the first 18 months of life is the first developmental stage, and the one goal of your baby's brain is to develop trust in its primary caregivers. And one is a parent or primary caregiver is able to help their baby establish trust in them by responding to their needs, both physical and emotional, and in the way that their child's expressing it. Mm-hmm. So I'll just leave that at now as it is for now. And if you want to get back into it, we can. But the next developmental stage has everything to do with, we do hear about the terrible twos, about autonomy, but it also, there's a there's a second part to it that many p- parents sort of miss out on, again, with this misguided information that's part of this parenting sphere right now. And that is that it is during the toddler years or year and a half that your child is going to, be able to establish a sense of control over his or her life. And Mm -hmm. we see this extrapolated into the future. You know, do we have people in our, in our life who are constantly fighting to be right, that they are trying to control things that really aren't meant for them to control or be involved in this stems from toddlerhood, right? So a child will, by the end of toddlerhood, be able to establish that they are their own person, they're their own autonomous person. But the big difference in how people develop in these early years is either they will have this sense of control in their environment, at least to a certain degree, or they won't. Mm -hmm. And then the third developmental stage 
as far as a personality characteristic goes, is that the brain is wired with this one goal to either establish this that this person is able to take initiatives and follow through, they have good ideas, or they don't. And you see this in adults too. You know, like if, if you know somebody who is constantly asking the five friends around them, what do you think? But what do you think? Well, tell me what you think. And then they finally make their decision. And even when they make their decision, they think, oh, I don't think that was right. Mm-hmm. That is stereotypical of a reflection of what happened from three to five. Mm-hmm. So understanding what's going on in your child's brain at every point in the first five years can be tremendously helpful because there is so much parenting advice that it just doesn't matter, to be honest, right? Mm -hmm. If you know that in the first 18 months, the main thing is for your baby to establish trust in its primary caregivers, and there's ways that you can parent such that you can help your baby create or develop that in their brain by the time they become a toddler, well, then I don't know, all kinds of advice about walking your baby in a stroller while they nap. Right. And because they have, there's movement and should they be in a crib and should I expose them to a party of 20 people? They're so young. What about, you know, I don't know. There's, there's so many comments floating around that if you know what this one focus is, then it really helps you steer your ship. Yeah, exactly. This is, I mean, this is, we're so aligned on this that I am very much like, there's so much noise and the good news, but I feel like it's like the hidden good news is that there's actually not that much you have to do to like do your part as a parent. Mm -hmm. It's not that much. And the other things don't matter. I could care less what brand of toothpaste that you use for your kid. It doesn't like, I mean, you know, it's nice to have a good body wash that I guess is not going to like cause major irritation, but like, that's not the most important thing. The, The specific car seat you buy isn't the most important. Like all of these things are so much less important than these key elements. And there aren't that many of them, which is reassuring, I think for parents. It is. And I love how you say that it's like this secret. It isn't. It is. If if you know the literature and you know the research, it's all been pointing to the same thing for a while now. But it's about relaying this into general knowledge and general parenting knowledge. And we're getting there slowly. I mean, there's certainly a lot more talk about being empathetic as a parent, and that did not exist really 50 years ago, or would be accepted in the same way. So there's definitely a shift, but it's a slow time coming. And I think that's just reflective of how science and research work. I mean, you know, there are advances in science, and then eventually they spill over and become part of general knowledge and acceptance and all of that. My secret is just like, it's like the secret that's not a secret. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like how there's like keys to being a great business. Like they aren't that, like they're common basic tenets of it. But I think what happens is as parents, we get so distracted or we get so influenced or we get so worried or we get so like caught up in all the stuff. And I think if 
people, if they don't have that underlying understanding of like child development, which I think a lot of people don't, they're just kind of grasping at straws as opposed to having a really firm foundation or steady foundation. Yes. And I would add there that, you know, for, for much of history, authoritarian parenting was the way to be. Mm -hmm. And so for most parents right now, they're faced sort of at this crossroads where they know they were raised a certain way mm-hmm. and they may be parents who have read up on, on the literature or just put them, insert themselves into the parenting sphere. And they've started mm-hmm. to pick up on the fact that what they, what they are being suggested to do as far as their parenting goes, isn't really in line with how they were parented. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the reasons why parents do end up going down this rabbit hole of information is because it's hard, it is it is extremely difficult to feel comfortable with something that isn't coming from within. Mm-hmm. And I phrase it that way because when you are parented and your brain is being wired in these early years, we we don't talk that much about it, but we are developing this inner parent. We hear a lot about inner child. I've read a lot mm-hmm. about blog posts and Instagram lives mm-hmm. about your inner child, but we don't hear much about your inner parent. And your inner parent is really how you were parented when you were very young before you remember. And so mm-hmm. when people say, just trust your gut, I also feel that's very unfair to parents because they may not want to trust their gut because their gut is essentially was wired in a certain way that they may not want to parent that way. And so Mm -hmm. if you can't trust your gut and you can't trust your instincts and your brain is telling you logically you should be doing something else, it just does not come out as fluidly as someone who has an inner parent who is aligned with how they want to parent. And so it is extremely difficult to get past that. And Mm -hmm. well, I believe that knowledge is extremely powerful because it can really help, as I said, right your ship and set you sail in a certain direction. And when you are clear about what parenting is actual, what part of parenting is actually influencing your child and in what way, well, then that can really help solidify any sort of second guessing or flip-flopping that you may be having. And that's mm-hmm. actually the S wise parenting. S has to do with being self-aware and understanding where you're coming from as a parent, because there's the inner parent that's playing a role. There is your temperament that's playing a role. And as we said earlier, temperament is an inborn characteristics. These are genetic. So it's very likely that a child is going to have one, maybe two parents who, who can relate to who they are from an, from an inborn characteristic point of view. But that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. And for babies who are like a mix of temperaments or characteristics, well, or temperaments, yeah, they parents may be able to relate with them in some situations, not others. And so then there's all kinds of reasons why it's hard for parents to just do, right? Mm-hmm. There are lots of barriers and obstacles that are going on, as I say, behind closed doors. And they it, even just knowing about them can help because then you know what's sort of getting in your way. But if you don't know about it and you're just dealing with emotions <laughs> mm-hmm. and you reacting a certain way, not understanding why that is, that's very, that's very hard to get past, which is why, again, I say knowledge is so important. 
Yeah. And I like that differentiation between your gut and self-awareness, because I think that is true. I think so many of us are grappling with the fact that in the short term, I might've listened better than my, you know, to my parents than my kids listen to me in the short term, because maybe I'm having a different goal. I have a longer term goal with my kids of respecting who they are, being aware of who they are, understanding their inner gene development, all of that. That's different than when you're operating out of kind of just do as I say, you might get more short term obedience in that situation. But in the long term, it's not probably creating the relationship you want with your kid and or the person that you're hoping that your kid would be. And so I think you're absolutely right. I think so many of all us, I'll say, I'm going to include myself in that, have to be aware enough to be able to understand how they were trained and how they're wanting to respond to their own kids as, as their kids grow. What does the, what does the E mean? Because now I'm so invested. <laughs> well, E is execution. So just like you made the reference to business before, you can learn everything in the book. You can learn about proper child development and you can learn about <laughs> all of it, but it's mm-hmm. about what you do, right? And so this is when it becomes really nuanced because you've gone through, your child was born, born a certain way. They're going to have this genetic undercurrent that's going to influence their behavior and their emotions for their entire life. And then you've got what developmental stage they're in. So being able to mm-hmm. decipher that and understand how that's coming out in behavior. Then you've got you, right? Because when your child's interacting with you, they are not standing alone, similar to what I said earlier, that behavior mm-hmm. is not independent. It is in constant interaction with whoever they're with or with their environment, right? So being self-aware has so much to do with the first step, which is understanding who we are up to the point of being a parent. And then it's who we are forward. So interacting with our child, our family, our partner, our friends. I mean, we all know that they're little sponges and they pick up on everything and understanding understanding how how influential and what type of influence you do have in terms of how you do respond and how you do model your behavior also can help tremendously because if you feel like absolutely everything i do all the time is influencing it's not to say that that isn't the case but mm-hmm. if you're able to go from that space to when I'm in these situations, these have greater clout, so to speak, in terms of influencing what's going on in what they're receiving, then that can also help to clarify. So execution is really being able to work through all of those and being able to get to the point where in a certain situation, you know what's important, you know what isn't, and based on that, you know what you can do within your abilities right? Uh, Everybody's going to have different ability in terms of how they can respond. Oh, this is so good. You guys, I mean, I hope you were taking notes. And also, I mean, this is why I love having people like, like Alexandra on the show, on the podcast, because we really, really vet people to make sure that you're not getting like a bunch of hogwash and that you're actually getting evidence based information. And I just feel like not to be on a pun, but what you are talking about is really is so wise and will allow (laughs) 
parents to be wise as they're parenting their kids. Thank you so much for being here. Will you tell people where they can find out more about wise parenting, how they can get wiser as they're parenting with their kids, more self-aware, more in, in alignment with what their kids really need as innate human beings? Sure. I'd love to. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a wonderful discussion. I'm so passionate about it. So any chance I have to talk about it, I just love it. I have a website. The address is thewiseparentingacademy.com. And on there, I always offer some sort of little freebie that you can sign up for. I change it every few months and sign up for it. And then you'll land on our newsletter list. And I try to do at least one free workshop every four four to six weeks. And we take a deeper dive into all the topics that have come up today and more. Awesome. All right. Till next time, you guys. Hey mama, if you want more of the modern mommy doc podcast, make sure that you click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag modern mommy doc. If you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast, we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well. Thanks for listening.